Today's scripture is from Samuel 1 through 11, 29, 1 through 11. The Philistines gathered all their forces at Aphek, and Israel camped by the spring of Jezreel. As the Philistine rulers marched with their units of hundreds and thousands, David and his men were marching at the rear with Achish. The commanders of the Philistines asked, What about these Hebrews? Achish replied, Is this not David, who's an officer of Saul, king of Israel? He has already been with me for over a year, and from the day he left Saul until now, I have found no fault in him. But the Philistine commanders were angry with him and said, Send the men back, that he may return to the place you assigned him. He must not go with us into battle, or he will turn against us during the fight, during the fighting. How better could he regain his master's favor than by taking the heads of our own men? Isn't this the David that they sang about in their dances? Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. So Achish called David and said to him, As surely as the Lord lives, you have been reliable. I would be pleased to have you serve with me in the army. From the day you came to me until now, I have found no fault in you, but the rulers don't approve of you. Turn back and go in peace. Do nothing to displease the Philistine rulers. But what have I done, asked David? What have you found against your servant from the day I came to you until now? Why can't I go and fight against the enemies of my lord the king? Akish answered, I know that you have been as pleasing in my eyes as an angel of God. Nevertheless, the Philistine commanders have said, He must not go up with us into battle. Now get up early along with your master's servants who have come with you and leave in the morning as soon as it is light. So David and his men got up early in the morning to go back to the land of the Philistines, and the Philistines went up to Jezreel. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Good morning, church. And hello again to those online and those that will watch this later. Hello to you as well. But we are at the end of a sermon series. Oh, okay. I got mixed, uh, mixed bag there. Okay. All right. Well, we have uh, at the end of one and it's been a, a fun one for me. I hope you enjoy it too. But we oftentimes don't get to delve into a lot of points of scripture about all the fighting going on uh, in the Old Testament. And so we've been really kind of taking that on forefront these last few weeks. And today we're ending the sermon series called Battles and Heroes. And uh, we'll be ending that here today. There's so much more we could talk about. I mean, if you go in and read on, if you ever read through the Bible, done one of those challenges, or if you just read every night and you kind of skip around, you can't get away from the fact that at this point of scripture, there's story after story after story, and we could go on and on and on, waiting for you to say, do it, pastor, do it. No, okay, no one did it. Okay, so we're going to go ahead and move on from here and get to Advent starting next week. As uh, If you didn't realize that, Advent starts next week. So as uh, we get started, let's pray together. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, we've looked at two stories before us. The first one had a, a Moses, which, of course, uh, we all know and well and love. Last time we looked at Gideon and a story about him. And this week we're looking at none other than David. 
That's right, King David. If you're going to name one person in the Old Testament that you, you know, know in one of those stories that you knew as a kid, you know, Moses is up there, maybe Abraham, but David is definitely in the top three, right, of people in the Old Testament that you know growing up. And what's so interesting about this is the first story that comes to mind is not our story here today. In fact, the first story when you think of David that comes to mind is not the chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter of chapter of David's stories. It's one particular moment that happens right at the beginning, right? And what story am I talking about? David and Goliath. Some of you are like, I'm thinking of something weird then. I don't know that. Anyway, David and Goliath, that's right, because we think about the slinging of the stone and the giant fell down. And uh, my kids have just recently learned this song. So, you know, Jackson and Kinsey are running around the house like, and they're swinging, 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 tumbling down. So it's hard to tell a story without singing it nowadays as a pastor. I don't know if it's going to have to work out of me after a while. But, you know, as you think of David, there's, there's that story that comes to mind and maybe a couple others that maybe come to mind. But his story is lengthy. And in fact, if you ever read scripture, it goes chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter. And some of those highlight stories that you come to mind right now are not the chapter after chapter after the chapter story. In so many ways, as you think of King David, and one of the ways the New Testament even recalls of him is he was a man after God's own heart. But there's story after story of David on the run, fleeing for his life. Fleeing and fleeing and fleeing. In fact, basically half of his story is King David, his own king is trying to kill him. And in fact, you may remember this story of scripture where, you know, after the, David kills Goliath, everybody starts looking at David and they go, well, Saul's killed thousands. Well, David's killed tens of thousands, right? And they have this kind of chant that kind of goes around and everybody keeps saying it. It's like their motto. And of course, the king is sitting there, and in, in the times you have to understand this, it was meant to be not only a praise of David, but also a slap in the face of King Saul. And so as people are saying this, King Saul rightly gets mad about it because it's actually a slap and an affront to his rulership, if you will, that he doesn't get credit for, even though David's working under him and all this type of stuff. And so the Saul, of course, it gets angry. As remember the story, King Saul starts to hate David. And in fact, as he brings him more into his service, like he just starts hating him and he starts getting kind of crazy. You know, at one point he's throwing a spear at David as he's sitting there playing a harp in his, in his, you know, his, his throne room, if you will. And it goes on and on. And then all of a sudden, David's on the run. And David's best friend is the son of the king, Jonathan, which, come on, we have to like Jonathan here today, people. Jonathan's, woo, hero, hero Jonathan. And, uh, but Jonathan, you know, King David and Jonathan, or David and Jonathan are best friends. And in fact, David lives only because Jonathan goes out of his way to sort of betray his father, if you will, and not true betrayal, but kind of betray his father and make sure David knows that he's about to lose his life. And they set up this whole intimate, you know, very intricate scheme, but eventually Jonathan lets David know and they part with tears and they really never see each other again. But of course, at the end of this story, it comes back, David and Jonathan's story comes to a conclusion. But you keep going on David's story and it's, it's really intriguing because he, he's fleeing from King Saul. And King Saul literally gets the army gets his posse and is running down King David. So King da uh, David and his, king, his, his men, that is, he's not King David yet, but David and his men are running around and they're fleeing and they're going all the way, all about Israel and going to these different places, hiding in caves, doing things. And not once, but twice does David actually spare Saul's life. And there's one time he sneaks into the camp and basically puts, you know, a, a sword right next to him and says, uh, and a little note and basically says, hey, and the next day he says, hey, King Saul, that sword that was by your head, that was me. 
right? And Saul realizes he should have been dead. And anybody who was running for their life from somebody that was trying to kill him and had the opportunity to kill them, you know, reverse revenge, if you want, in the pursuit, King Saul says, oh, I'm so sorry. It goes back to his house, but it stews and eventually comes after David again. And there's another story where they're in a cave and David sneaks in there and once again could have killed Saul again and yet spares his life and lets him live. At this point, David says, all right, enough. Like, I got to do something and get out of Saul's territory. I got to do something. And so, twist of irony story. And, and again, this has gone on for page after page after page, right? And, and if you think of when Goliath and David happened, that story, uh, you know, a lot of people think maybe he was like a little kid as you read the story. As I read it and I understand what's going on and, and kind of the words that are used to David, I think he's kind of like that teenager, right? Like young teenager, maybe like the, the football player, you know, of, of the team, maybe someone like freshman year, sophomore year. So he's not little tiny kid at the time, but this is going on and on and on, and it's gone on and on and on. And eventually he says, you know what? I'm gonna have to leave Israel. And again, the twist of irony is where does he go? And he serves under the Philistines. But just remember that Goliath was a who? <laughs> a Philistine, right? David's whole story starts off and his claim to fame, if you will, is him fighting the Philistines on behalf of Israel, on behalf of the Lord. And now because he's running from the li- his life, from the, Lord, like the Lord's servant and the Lord's king, if you will, he has to go and serve and flee to the land that he's fought against, that are the enemy. And the Philistines, uh, just so you know, weren't native Canaanites. And in fact, actually almost everybody you mentioned in the Bible is not native Canaanites. They're all people, groups that came in and wiped other people out. So the Philistines have also come into Israel at this time in that land of Canaan. uh, And they were seafaring peoples. They're pretty much like the the early Greeks, what would become the Greeks where they came from. Those people become the Greeks of ancient Greek philosophy and all that stuff. But they're basically early Greeks. And they, they basically go around and they start settling a lot of the Mediterranean. They're seafaring people. They have swords. They have iron. They have all sorts of weapons that the Israelites don't have. And they are formidable. And David goes and lives with them. And in fact, he, he comes down and he basically goes to the king seeking asylum. And he says, hey, I'm seeking, you know, asylum. Put me in your service, which if you were a asylum seeker back in the day, that meant that basically you have a military contract with whoever it is that you're going to help serve them. And so David gets sent uh, to his own little place called Ziklag. And he gets sent there and he's sort of, if you will, able to have asylum there, except that he gets called upon to do and go around and basically plunder. So this is kind of, this gives you a picture of what's going on at the time. The Philistines are there, but they're also going around plundering. They're expected to go around and plunder whoever's around them. And of course, who is David supposed to go and get? The king basically expects him to go fight the Israelites because they're the enemy, and basically the main enemy of the Philistines. And so David is caught now in this catch-22. He can't go back, but if he stays with the Philistines... He has to fight for the Philistines and fight Israel. And God's already revealed to David he's going to be the king of Israelites. So David is in predicament, right? This is hot water. So what does David do in the story? If you read it through the scripture, he basically, he goes and he plunders all around other people that aren't Israelites. And he comes back and he tells the king, oh, I was plundering these Israelites, but they went out and they didn't make sure that there were no survivors. And he made sure that no one could tell the story because he lied to the king. And so this king, uh, you know, comes up and basically understands that David's out killing the Israelites, but really he's not. He's really killing other groups that are, again, everybody's fighting everybody at this time. And he's coming back and telling the king this. The king finds great honor in David, thinks he's doing this great thing. And so what, of course, ends up happening is there's a battle, a real battle. 
So not like the, I'm gonna go plunder you and you plunder me and we kind of have this back and forth thing. This is the, I raise my big army, you raise your big army and we're gonna duke it out and finish this, right? Fight that happens. And so the Israelites under King Saul and Jonathan, every time I say Jonathan's like, Da-da! so, and Jonathan, they get together, right? Another King Saul's sons, a lot of them are there too. And they, uh, they go and they fight this, they start fighting this battle, if you will. And the Philistines come up to meet them and it's the, the Valley of Jezreel and they're all there and they're about to fight and it's the night of, and David's been called up because of course he's in the service of the Philistines. And so his own king, if you will, of, of, you know, the way the Philistines did it is you had your king of your city, not king of like a big whole area. And so the king of his city that he was sort of under has total faith in David and calls upon him to come fight. Now there's no way out for David in this, right? If you think about it. David either has to fight the Israelites or in the middle of the battle, he has to turn on the Philistines. What's he going to do, right? It's a big issue. And as we read in our scripture, what actually happens is once the kings, the true kings of Philistines, the bigger even cities than than his king he was serving, they get together and they say, who are these Hebrew dudes with you? (laughs) And and David's king says, well, I found no fault with them. They've been great. Trust them. They're going to fight the Israelites. I have no problem. They've already been fighting them. They go on and on and on. And the other Philistine rulers go, no, 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 no. This is David. We know this guy. This is the guy that they said, you know, Saul killed thousands. He killed ten thousands. No, 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 no. You're sending him home. He's not fighting this battle, right? And so, uh, and Zach, that, so David sort of gets a, a way out, if you will. And luckily, he never has to make the decision. We never find out what he's going to do because he's either, again, got to betray the people protecting him or he's got to betray the servants of the Lord God. What's he going to do, right? And what's he going to happen in this story? But he gets sent home, and there's a whole story that happens right here. But the end story to this is the Israelites, the Philistines fight, the Philistines win. And in fact, King Saul, the story goes, falls on his sword, if you will, and, and he actually he gets to the point he knows he's dead. He tells the sword bearers with him to kill him. They are too afraid to do it, so he falls on his own sword. And the tragedy, because Jonathan actually dies in the story too. Who Jonathan has been the upright, upright, super awesome standing citizen to this point, right? Because Jonathan's amazing. And, uh, but I always, I never knew my parents if they named me after Jonathan. Whenever I ask them, they tell me I was, but you know, parents sort of change things as time goes on. But so anyways, but Jonathan passes away. And of course, David, when he hears this, laments, not only for King Saul, who again, tried to kill him time and time again, but David spared his life at least twice. And who knows what he would have done in the battle if he had been there. And of course, his dearest friend, Jonathan, who passed away, he mourns. Now, if you follow the story up to this point, that's pretty much half the story of King David. And in fact, as far as just literature goes, it, uh, it's interesting to look at it because it actually gives us the time and the date when this was going on right around this battle of Jezreel. He was 30. And it tells us in scripture that when he became king a little later in, in, uh, uh, in the second Samuel in chapter five, it tells us that when he became king, he was uh, 30 years old and that he reigned for another 33 years. So if you think that he was a kid and whether he, that means he was a little kid or a teenager, like I, I kind of think of the scripture really kind of says, but the language it used either way, that's a large portion of your life that you've been running and, and fleeing, right? 
And then if you go on and read, it doesn't get any better because the moment David finally says, all right, Lord, is it time for me to go back up and leave the Philistines? He finally does. And God says, go. The fighting's not over because the, there are still sons of Saul to contend with. And the sons of Saul try to wipe David out. So now there's this whole other battle that goes on, if you will, a fight with the sons. And until that's all worked out, David doesn't come officially king until 2 Samuel chapter 5. And then the first thing he does is he goes and he conquers Jerusalem and makes it his city, if you will, the city of the king. And it's interesting looking at this story because, you know, we think of David and, you know, you hear all those, you think of those childhood stories and all the different things that he has. But again, page after page of all this fighting, all this back and forth, David's been on the run. David's been working with the enemy. David's, things haven't gone well for David, and I have to believe that there were times he was just sitting there with the Lord and saying, you promised me I'd be king. You promised me you'd establish my kingdom. You promised me you would do all these things. He's in the enemy camp, waiting for the next morning to fight the people he's supposed to be king of. I mean, there's so many ironies in this story and so much heartache in this story and yet David, time and time again, does whatever he possibly can to do the right thing. Now, as you look at this story, I, there's a number of things I think we can take from it in battles. And of course, this is the, the tragic battle that happens at the end where the good guys, if you will, lose. The bad guys win, and they win pretty much for good for a long time in this story until David comes king. And all of a sudden, he's able to really take back and to win these fights again. But as you look at this story... There's some things that I think are very telling to us. And just like these other stories, again, God is not saying go out and fight somebody, go out and get your sword and go hit them nowadays. We've learned through Jesus Christ that all this was the setup for Jesus Christ to come to teach us how to live. But yet there's still learnings from these stories that we can take, even in our own times. The first thing I would say to you is that, you know, we remember that God or David was a man after God's own heart. And again, he even falls. If you read on the story, David makes a huge mistake and to his credit, when God confronts him about it, he repents. But nonetheless, there are consequences for his actions. And the last days of his life end up in tragedy as well. So the good times for David was a very slim margin. And the good days for David, if you really think about his life, it's really tragic because most of the days were not good days. And the first thing I take from that is sometimes we have to persevere. And you just think of David's life in general, it's a whole story about persevering, that trial and tribulation can come, and even the promises of God that we take and we accept and we live into are not always fully-fledged, make everything happy-dokey and everything spotly clean all around you. Sometimes there's heartache, there's hurt, there's tragedy. And yet even in the midst of very bad actors, even in the midst of people around you taking advantage of you, even in the midst of people trying to take your life, somehow... <laughs> The promise that God said, you will be king, I will establish your kingdom. Even through all this heartache, all this tragedy, all these fightings, all these people being killed, there's, it, it becomes like the mafia there for a minute if you read through the story. People are often people they're supposed to be on good terms with. It becomes this crazy story, but eventually, even despite all these bad actors, God brings about his promise. And David gets to see it because he persevered. Another story I would tell you is as bad as these stories sound with everything going wrong, David left it better than he found it. They always heard that your mom said whenever you go somewhere, do something, you know, if you go use the church, the church kitchen, right? 
there's a, always a sign over in a church kitchen that says, leave it better than you found it, right? And of course, your parents taught you that. We've all learned that in school, all these different things. But it's really biblical in the sense that David, as you saw in this story, and just kind of, it's a whole 10,000 foot view of David's story here. But when he dies and leaves it to Solomon, the whole scope of the, of the whole Canaanite area is better than when he found it. And it took a lot of heartache, it took a lot of hurt, but nonetheless, through all that trial, David was able to leave it better than he found it. And the third thing I would say that really I think is worthy of taking today, and, and maybe one that you don't talk about this much in the church, but sometimes you're left with no good moral choice. I think about David when he was there, he's under the Philistines, he's expected to go out and fight the Israelites, and he just straight up, the Bible tells us, he straight up lies to the king, right? Straight up lies to him, right? And of course, God does not call us to lie, he calls us to be truthful. But in David's situation, he had a choice of two evils. And so he chose the lesser evil. Now, as Christians, I think God's always working with us. We always need to keep yearning and always search for the best moral ground, and it's something that God's called us to do. But in short, there are situations where ultimately you have to look at it and you have to say, there's only two bad choices. Which one's the lesser evil? And unfortunately, sometimes we have to live with that lesser evil in our choices. And in fact, in David's story, and as you read through Scripture, there are time and time again the people of God had to make a choice that you sit there and you go, oh, I wish they didn't have to do that. Yeah, when you look at it, it was life and death situations. And so they chose that lesser of two evils. And eventually they got to the day they didn't have to choose that anymore. And they shunned it as fast as they could when they could. But in the moment, they had to make that hard decision. Not only that situation comes up very often, Jesus Christ often opens those doors and so many times it's worthy of sitting there and really wrestling with it before you act too hastily. But nonetheless, it's worthy of talking about that sometimes just the fact of life is there's no good choice in front of us. And so when that happens, when we're truly in a corner and our back's against the wall, the right thing to do is to look at what's the lesser of two evils and follow that path when you're forced. The story of David is one that I love and even though there are just heartache after heartache in the story, there's moments where God goes. And in fact, one of the things that, that I always find amazing is that through it all, the story that happens after this is when they finally, you know, go hit, basically the ark's been sitting in somebody's basement for a while. And David, one of the things he does when he becomes king, he goes and he gets the ark and he brings it to town. And even though he's been through all this trial and all this heartache and everything else, when it comes, he dances, and he dances, and he loves it, and he has such a great time, and he dances before the Lord. And even in the times of trial, we ourselves can still find joy. Even when God is, seems like taking a while to take, you know, to fulfill his promises, we can still have times of joy. God can still do a work in us, even in the midst of those hard times. Let us pray. Lord, we, throw, we are thankful for being your people once again. We're thankful for your message and this story of David, which again, we've looked at a very big, huge kind of scope of it today. We can delve much more in other times. Because we think about his life, it's truly amazing, Lord, that he didn't just give up, that he persevered. It's truly amazing, Lord, that even in the midst of all the bad things that happened and 
truly gets wild west at times in these stories, he left it better than when he found it. And finally, God, that story that sometimes we are backs against the wall and we have to choose the lesser of two evils. God, help us in those times to make not only the right choice, but help us, Lord, to reverse that evil as fast as we can and find a way that honors you and honors your kingdom. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand as you're able this morning for our closing hymn, Praise to the Lord, the Almighty.